Welcome into the inaugural episode of Automatic, the college basketball podcast, hosted by me, Richmond Weaver, and my good friend, Steffi Sorensen. And Steffi, I can't believe it. We're here. I know we've been talking about this for quite a while, and now we finally have the opportunity to sit down and record our first episode of Automatic. How exciting is it? I'm so excited, Rich. And, you know, this podcast is for every Hoops fan. You know, it will be an open, honest discussion of what's the latest and greatest in college basketball. And, you know, we want to dive into conversations with players, coaches, media figures. And I don't want, Rich, I don't want any tables or any questions off the table. You know, I want to get into the nitty gritty with some of these people. And we have a few podcasts that cover women's basketball and we have many that cover men's. And where we separate ourselves is we cover both and we're going to do it really good. So if you're a basketball fan, then this is for you. <laughs> <laughs> Without a doubt. Let's go, Steffi. I, I'm so excited. And I mean, we love college basketball and we love basketball just overall. You know, I was a, a college basketball coach at Maryland Eastern Shore and at Fairleigh Dickinson University after I graduated from Clemson University. I tried to walk on and that was a humbling experience. Then our staff gets fired and I move out of coaching and never really get back into it, but had the opportunity of starting a podcast, Rich Take on Sports, back in 2017. And lo and behold, I get to meet Steffi Sorensen, my co-host here, and we get to have a great conversation talking about your journey, your story, and how sports impacted your life. And also, lo and behold, that podcast earned an award of excellence from the Communicator Awards for Best Podcast episode. So again, Steffi, thank you for all of your participation in that. And then it just developed our friendship from there. And, you know, I approached Steffi at the SEC Championship Tournament in Greenville, South Carolina, where I live, and almost cornered you, I think, cornered. and said, hey, let's... Cornered yes. a... <laughs> <laughs> and said hey, let's start a college basketball podcast together. And to your point, there had not been a podcast that covers men's and women's basketball together. And that's what's so unique about this. Yeah. First of all, it was a corner. Yes. And uh, I'm glad you did because here we are and we're going to get kick off a great episode today. And, you know, I can only speak for me, Rich, but, um, you know, I was no superstar in college. You know, I wasn't top pick going to the WNBA, nothing like that. But, you know, one aspect that really got me on the floor as a player and now as a college basketball analyst for ESPN is is work ethic. Um, you know, we will get you the news you need, the insight from those closest to the game, because my, myself and you are, are willing to outwork our competition. And, and I come from a background where this stuff didn't come easy for me. I was slow, skinny, and... Uh, not necessarily athletic growing up, but damn it, I was determined. And I feel like people can relate to that. We won't be perfect, but I sure hope there's some takeaways each and every episode, whether it's an aha moment or a, a good laugh. Either way, that's going to be automatic. It definitely will be. And our plan is to release an episode each Wednesday. And we know the basketball season has already started, but we're going to get you ready. It's now Conference play is getting ready to start in college basketball, and so we're excited about that. So each Wednesday, you'll be able to hear a new episode of Automatic. And you know, I think the other aspect that you also mentioned, Steffi, which I'm excited about, is that, yes, we'll have our insight and what we think is happening in college basketball and what might be happening in some of the headlines, but also being able to have conversations with the people that are in the game right now from players, coaches, the insiders. And I think that's what's going to be also another thing that's truly unique about this. It's not just hearing from us. It's hearing from some of the people that are in it right now. And one of those is actually our very first guest, and that's your good friend, Steffi, and that's Rachel Galligan. And I'm excited that we were able to have her as our very first guest. Yeah, Rachel has been named to multiple Hall of Fames after playing basketball at Eastern Illinois from 2005 to 2009, where she finished her career as the all-time leading scorer, all-time single-season scoring leader, and all-time shot blocker. And she was a three-time Ohio Valley All-Conference recipient, 
OVC Freshman of the Year and a two-time OVC All-Tournament Team honoree. She also participated on the track and field team. She left that out in our friendship. At Eastern Illinois, winning the 2007 OVC Championship in the Javelin. So Rachel would also go on to play professionally in Spain after graduation in 2009 before joining the college coaching ranks. And Rachel would have coaching stops at her alma mater, Eastern Illinois, Ball State, Grand Canyon University, and Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University before founding Go Global Recruiting, a women's basketball recruiting service aiming to assist universities and players all over the globe. And she's also served as a color analyst for ESPN and various other outlets. But now you can find her as a freelance analyst and writer with Just Women Sports and Winsider. And Rachel, in fact, has become known as the leading breaking news source for women's basketball, drawing a comparison to ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski. So it's time for our own Rach Bomb. Rachel, thanks so much for joining us. It's good to see you. You know, you wear so many hats um, each day. How do you wake up and decide which hat you're going to put on that day? Or do you have to change hats throughout the day? <laughs> Honestly, I have no answer for that. I don't know. I'm just kind of figuring out as I go. Um, I think uh, for me, I try to wear multiple hats and change them multiple times throughout the day. What's your favorite thing that you do? Um, probably go global, which is my business. Um, I started that about four years ago, which is an international recruiting service. So I'm really heavily involved in the international game, um, primarily Europe and just helping those kids get opportunities and get noticed by different universities, different levels, division one, division two, JUCO, um, trying to be that bridge, um, helping them get over here, get a, get a scholarship, get a partial scholarship, get a chance to further their education and you know, obviously get a chance to play at the highest level of basketball in the States. Um, you know, and alongside of that, helping the college coaches be able to fill their rosters with some international talent. It's always been a passion of mine. Yeah. How did that passion become about though, Rachel? Um, I was 21 and uh, I was in my first coaching job and uh, my boss at the time pulled me in the office. He was like, Hey, I want to recruit internationally. I was like, all right, what, what does that mean? He was like, I don't know, figure it out. <laughs> um, I was like, uh, I guess I need to go to Europe. And he was like, okay. I was like, well, are you going to support that financially? And he's like, yeah, whatever we got to do. Um, so, I mean, I was just really literally thrown into it and kind of figured it out as I went. Um, thankfully, we had the resources at Eastern Illinois at the time to send me over there um, a couple times a year, watch some international competition in the summertime and, and do some home visits in the fall. Um, there was a lot of horror stories of me trying to navigate Europe by myself. Uh, we could talk about that. That's a whole podcast of its own. Um, but as I was going through that, as a, I was a college coach, just recruiting international players, I just had a heart for it. And, you know, just how many opportunities could be created. And, and honestly, they didn't have someone that they could go talk to, someone who had walked the walk and, and done it. And what does it mean to get a scholarship? What does it mean to register with the NCAA Clearinghouse? Um, you know, what, what does that mean? What, what does that mean for me to potentially go over to America? Why should I go over to America and not turn pro? So while I was a coach, I did that for six years. In the back of my mind, I thought I want to help on a much bigger scale than what I'm able to do just at my one university. I was able to bring in a lot of really good talent that helped us that we weren't able to get in the States. But I wanted to be able to kind of be a resource and help more kids and help more universities, create more opportunities. So um, in the back of my mind, I told myself I want to own my own recruiting service someday. And uh, 10 years later, it came to be. Wow, look at you, girl. Businesswoman, entrepreneur, basketball mind, all of the above. What, what would you say has been the general consensus of European players, foreign players that want to come to the United States? Because we've seen such an influx of them into the NCAA. You know, what, what do most of them say? Or, or what are those conversations like? I'm sure they vary, but what can our audience take away from that? I mean, for the players, it's appealing because, you know, what we're used to in terms of having a practice gym, of having a multiple, you know, shooting guns to work on, um, you know, weight rooms. I mean, just our resources here are so um, appealing. You know, a lot of these kids have grown up in these small towns or even these high performance training centers that still don't even compare 
to what we have in the States. And then from just a competitive standpoint, they're able to come over and play at the highest level. There, there's not a, a college system over there. Like when you, when you leave your club or when you graduate high school, you either just play on a club for fun, or if you're good enough, you might be able to go pro. Um, but I think being able to come over and compete against the United States, which they view as the best of the best from a basketball standpoint is appealing from a developmental standpoint, but then just the academic piece is huge. There's a really, really big emphasis on academics and, and even at like a division two level, being able to come over and major in engineering or, um, you know, come over here and even the kids that aren't going to go pro can come over and get a great degree and experience New York or experience Chicago and just, um, have that overall academic basketball piece. That's just once in a lifetime. And then Rachel, how about in terms of how difficult it is in terms of evaluating these players and being able to evaluate them, knowing that you're evaluating them into the game in America? Yeah, that's hard. And it was even more difficult um, during the COVID year. I mean, you know, I, I wasn't able to go over to Europe. I question my ability to, to do what I do, not being able to get over there. Thankfully, I was over there, able to go over there this summer. My skills got a lot better uh, evaluating from film which I think we all had to do. We all had to pivot and do, but it's hard. And I, I, I attribute my experience as a college coach um, and my, uh, my eye. I'm, I think I have a pretty good eye. I think I have a pretty good, I was always really good at evaluating talent and pro projecting talent from a young age. Um, but yeah, it, it gets taken to a whole new level when you're looking at the international game and how does that translate here with the physicality that we play with and they're not necessarily used to. Those are things you have to take into account, but you know, there's there's things that they do that we're not used to doing in terms of the speed in which they play the game, um, the overall skill that that, you know, skill and size that they are able to a lot of times produce over there in Europe um, is not necessarily the way it is here all the time. Um, so, you know, you're constantly each time a kid comes across my desk or if I'm watching her on film, you know, I always have a thousand questions. I always want to watch full game film. Everyone looks great on a highlight film, but being able to watch full game and, and okay, what, what, what division is this? Is this low level club basketball in Spain? Or are we talking about, you know, league one or, you know, whatever that might be, you're trying to gauge, like this could be some terrible club in, in Ireland and this kid looks like a million bucks, but she couldn't even play mid-major basketball. So there's a lot of things. It's tough. It's, it's, I'm still um, refining my skills on that for sure. Yeah. So I have a follow-up to that in reference. You talk about watching true game film versus these highlight tapes. And it seems now all I see are these mixtapes. And obviously <laughs> yeah. it's some of the best, you know, plays that these players have, or, you know, it's, it's set to music, hype music and all of that. But so how difficult is it from an evaluation standpoint? Because you're really not seeing them, but just small clips of content rather than really getting to see how they might be playing within a game, within a system, within a team? Yeah, I mean, they, there's still value in it. You know, when, when you're looking at a kid and you're looking at just what she can do in a specific play, if she's running the floor and she can catch and finish in stride, if, you know, she can play with her back to the basket. I mean, there's, there's still value in seeing, like, those, those top moments. But then there's so much more value in saying, like, all right, well, what's this kid like on the court when things aren't going their way? Um, how many blown layups did they have? You know, are they a good teammate? Like you can still catch some of those things on film um, in terms of pace of the game. And, and um, if you're not there in person is what I'm talking about. But yeah, I mean, the mixtapes, <laughs> um, I wouldn't throw them all out. Them. Yeah. Hey, there's some good ones out there. I mean, they, they got some jams out there, man. Some of the music, my God, I thank God for a mute button. That's all I have to say. <laughs> what, what would be your music, Rachel? If you're making a highlight <laughs> tape, what's your music? I gotta know this. You know, I've gotten I've gotten so used to watching uh, my partner in in Barcelona comes out with like these like fiesta type um, like really high paced like Spanish songs, oh. and I kind of like it. Like I'm like this would probably be my my thing. <laughs> it's different and uh, definitely has a little international flair. So I would do something like that, like a little fiesta uh, type of Spanish music that high paced. I like that. <laughs> Oh, we got to find some of that for the podcast. <laughs> it's our new, it's our new intro music. Rich. <laughs> right. Here we go. Rich, I want to I pivot away from college and kind of talk about your coverage 
um, and you being an insider for the WNBA, we've seen so much growth with the league now. But how did you get into covering the WNBA and becoming this insider? Uh, I think a lot of people know you as almost like a female Woj, um, your ability to break news. How does one um, switch into that kind of role in industry and be able to do it the way you have? It's funny, like, I never in a million years would have envisioned that I would be doing that or would have done the things I've been able to do the last couple of years in terms of the breaking news. It just, it's one of those moments in life where things just kind of happen and they, like you find yourself and you look back on it, you're like, what the hell just happened? Um, it, it started because I was looking when I, when I walked away from coaching and I wanted to start my business, I, I always felt like I wanted to have my hands in multiple things. Um, I didn't see myself as just kind of a, a one trick pony. I wanted to do different things at different times of the year. Obviously, I love the WNBA. I watched it growing up as a kid and just love basketball in general. Um, but I had reached out to, I don't, even, I don't think it even exists anymore, but it was a, a platform that I had seen on Twitter called Hero Sports. And I was up late one night, you know, sometimes when you're just thinking about life and trying to figure out what the hell am I doing with my life. Um, I like reached out to them and I said, hey, like, do you guys ever do anything with women's basketball? You know, I, I don't even know what told me to do this, but I just said, do you ever need anyone to talk about it? Do you ever need anyone to analyze it? Like, just, just let me know. Never heard back. Fast forward, like six months later, I got an email back from them and they said, Hey, like, we're actually looking to expand our coverage. We would love to talk about maybe having you cover, um, the women's, um, NCAA tournament. And I was like, like as a journalist? And he was like, yeah, like we want you to kind of like write about it. And I was like, oh God, I mean, my degree, my degree, <laughs> I can talk, but I cannot write. Um, so we talked and they were all about it. They loved my story. They loved my experience as a coach. And they just kind of wanted to throw me in there and let me watch that tournament and, and analyze it. And that kind of, um, they liked it. Apparently I wasn't too terrible. It rolled over to the WNBA. And at that point I had gotten a little traction and there was a, a startup, um, outlet called Windsider at the time uh, that was doing a podcast and they, my name came up through them. And um, now he's the PR for the LA Sparks, but he was one of the ones that one of the guys that founded it. And uh, they wanted me to come on as a co-host. And I was like, oh man, like, yeah, like I'll talk about WNBA basketball. It's easy. Um, just as a hobby. Like I just thought it was fun. And then from there, that just turned into, we had this podcast and then we started getting I was able to get like players on. They weren't able to do that before, but with, through my connection, we started getting some players on, we started getting some coaches on. And then my connections just through the basketball world of college professional, um, I started just knowing insider type of things um, and following the NBA and following the way that world works. Um, I just kind of started putting stuff out there that was going to take place. We hadn't really seen breaking news in the WNBA before, um, I had no idea what I was doing, had no idea how to formulate a tweet, didn't know the wording, <laughs> didn't know what was right. So I had a lot of uh, close friends that, that were like, OK, do it this way or really model Woj or Shams and uh, kind of say it the way they say it. So we did that for three years and then the, the reputation grew. We started getting top names on there and it just kind of we brought on a team of like 15 writers. I wasn't writing for Winsider. I was still writing for Hero. And then the breaking news just kind of. I would say is the one thing that kind of blew up. Like I was being recognized on, you know, all sorts of outlets and, and credited Bleacher Report. And then I started getting all just thousands of followers. And I mean, I, I had like 500 followers as a college coach. And now I'm sitting here like, okay, I'm way up, well over 10,000, which I have no idea how that happened in such a short amount of time. But um, it just shows you that there's an excitement level around it. But now, you know, I'm writing for Just Women's Sports, which is a really, really exciting opportunity and a really great outlet, new outlet that's really putting a lot of emphasis and, and resources to the women's game, which is great. Really lucky to be a part of that. Yeah, so how much are you on the phone or texting throughout the day to uncover some of these breaking stories oh and all your sources? I can't even explain it. It's horrible. <laughs> it's exciting. Like there, there's a, there's an element of just like adrenaline that you feel. Um, but then there's days where I wake up and I'm just like on my phone the entire day. Um, not even present in the house. The dogs have to go to the bathroom. Like I have to, I'll be driving down the road. I got to pull over. I don't know how Woj and Shams do it to the extent they do. It's amazing. Um, but it's a lot of adrenaline. It's a lot of, um, high stress. I'm really proud. I have not made a mistake. That's one thing that, um, 
I always said, hey, when I'm going through this, as I'm learning, as I'm going, I don't want to burn bridges. If, if it's a relationship I have with a person and I'm not going to go against them just to, you know, toot my own horn and break something and this is going to cause friction, I'm not going to do that. So I always double check, triple check, quadruple check from all ends of it before I put something out there. So that takes a lot of time and it's tedious. And honestly, I, I'll put it out there and I'll still feel anxious about it until I see the team officially announce it. And then I'm like, okay, I can relax. But um, I, I'm not sure how I'm going to approach this year yet. There, there's a level of um, stress there <laughs> that I don't know how much it's worth it. <laughs> but it's it's definitely been fun and, and, I mean, obviously created some really cool opportunities for me. And you so. mean stress in terms of just what you were talking about? Yeah. Just like, the 24-7, always yeah. having to be kind of on guard, so to speak? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, I could be at dinner with family and be like, I got I to gotta, I gotta run away. And I'll just go run off to the bathroom or I could be walking through Costco and just be on the phone and calling. I mean, you just never know. It's just a complete unknown when you're in that free agency time. And it's like, it's crazy. (laughs) It's crazy. (laughs) Rachel, what's been the uh, craziest transaction you've broken or broken news on? Man, honestly, the one the one that was probably the biggest was when I broke the Liz Cambage demanding a trade from Dallas. Um, that was early on. And at that time we hadn't seen anything like that. And I didn't quite know what I was doing. It rubbed some people wrong, which I honestly, it's not a big deal, but it it was one of those things that it was going to happen and ended up being really good for the game. And it was right. But that one was, I didn't realize at that time how big of a deal that was every year. There's more and more pressure for me to do it. And there's more and more pressure for me to be that person. And then there's more and more pressure for, or competition. There's other people who are trying to do it now too which is great. That's how you grow the game. Um, I think the one this past year, which I think was pretty exciting was um, Simone Augustus retiring. I was able to get that one. And that one, that one was big news, at least for me, but different transactions. I mean, Alicia Gray leaving Seattle was big. Um, Kayla McBride going to Minnesota Lynx. Um, but for me, I think Simone Augustus retiring, that was a huge one. Yeah. Well, what, what breaking news is going on right now? You're getting ready to break as <laughs> we're you. recording, huh? <laughs> no, I, this is my off season. Although, although just women's sports is like, Hey, we're, we're willing to like invest in this. This is something that you do. And I'm like, that's great. I mean, Woj makes millions and millions of dollars doing what he does. I don't make anything. So some days I sit here and I think, why am I doing this to myself? Like, this is crazy. I have other things I need to be focused on. So I'm kind of in that threshold of like, is this worth it? But right now, I mean, they just changed the playoff format. There's, there's other things that are going on. I don't really have my, my breaking news hat on right now. It's, like I said, I'm trying to, trying to stay sane. I'm trying to focus on college basketball. And, you know, when you have your hands involved in so many things, you have to kind of come in and out of it. Control, who do you see as being the number one draft pick? Ooh. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know yet. I, I, everybody would say Ryan Howard. I think for me, I'm not ready to kind of crown that quite yet. Uh, I, I want to watch a little bit more. Uh, if I had to say just based on, you know, potential and overall um, just media attention, I would say Ryan Howard. Uh, but Melissa Smith is, to me, she would be mine, depending on who gets it in the lottery. I think Melissa Smith has a really high ceiling and her motor is, is a difference for me. But I want to watch more of Ryan this year. I haven't gotten to see Kentucky play a whole lot yet. And then I guess another question, why did you get out of coaching? I, w- I always say that, um, and I miss it. I miss it. I, I consider going back into it probably every year, which I'm thankful to be in a position where I'm still contacted about it. Um, it it kind of put me in a box, you know. Um, there's a lot of rules, and, and the NCAA doesn't allow you to do a lot of the things that I want to do. So I felt like I was put in a cage is the best way I can describe it. Um, I kind of get to be free at this point. I can be working from Florida where my family is. I could be working from Barcelona. Um, I kind of get to control my day. Whereas as a college coach, I didn't have a life. I didn't have a personal life. I didn't, wasn't able to have relationships. Um, so there was things in my life I wanted family um, that I felt like coaching at that period of time. Um, the, the, in the places I was doing it in the middle of central Indiana was not, was not going to help me get the things I want in my life. Now I don't, I don't, I never say, I never, I never keep that door closed. I think it's completely impossible that I might be back in it one day, but I'm just loving what I'm doing right now. And I love the freedom that I have. Well, we're glad that you're doing all that, breaking all this news and joining us on the podcast as we're wrapping up then here. 
I've got to ask then here, me living in Greenville, South Carolina, there's obviously a lot of excitement around what Dawn Staley in South Carolina is doing. From your perspective, is this a team that's worthy of making a run from start to finish as the number one team in the country? 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And then you put Cardozo on there from Syracuse and I'm watching them the other day and I'm just like, God, this team is, they just, she just reloads this team. And then yes. Zaya Cook is just such a force. My God, she's going to have a phenomenal year. Um, you know, people could talk about UConn all they want. I, I think it's South Carolina, my, my early favorite. So why do you favor uh, South Carolina over UConn? Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't even know if I have a, I just think they're, I don't know. Honestly, I haven't been able to watch UConn play yet this year. Um, I would say South Carolina's interior play is just their rim protection, just their ability to defend. I mean, they, they cause so many frustrations defensively from what I've been able to see early on. It's those two for sure, at least so far. I haven't quite seen a team that belongs in that category quite yet with them. I agree. We've got a lot of basketball to be played. That's what's exciting. (laughs) As early on here in the season, a lot of things can change. But Rachel, we can't thank you enough for joining us here on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Anytime. just want to thank Rachel Galligan so much for joining us on this podcast, our first ever episode, and because she's blazing her own trail. I mean, there's no one really that's doing what she does in terms of bringing over the international talent to college basketball, writing, commentating, breaking news on the on the WNBA. She is one of a kind and a tremendous uh, interview with Rachel Galligan. Rich, what do you think? Yeah, she's absolutely fantastic. And what I just love is that even how she's surprised that she's now known as a person that's breaking all of the news. She never would have a million years guessed that. And that's what's great when you, you know, hear that side of the things. I am interested though also just how much she really does have that itch to maybe coach again one day cuz she didn't necessarily close the door, she didn't. but she didn't. No, she didn't. So it, we we shall see. I can Ms. see her on Rachel the sidelines. Galligan. I can see her on the sidelines. She's got a great mind for the game, and uh, I, I know that she's approached all the time. So I, it wouldn't surprise me. So, Rich, we're about one month into the season for college hoops. I'm going to dive into some of the biggest takeaways on the women's side. What's really stood out to me is the fact that you know the game is growing. And our game is better. And that that means to me that no team is really safe. With the exception of South Carolina, Arizona, and Tennessee, every team in the top 10 has lost at least one game so far. And that's pretty unusual on our, on our side of the, of the court because according to Michelle Vopel of ESPN, the last time the top 10 teams had double-digit losses in November was 2008 which seems like just a few years ago when I was playing, but that's a long time ago, actually. Um, so case in point, you have the, the, the defending national champion, the, the Stanford Cardinal. They lost just twice last season. They've already, uh, they've already lost twice this year. So as someone who covers the game and as a fan myself, you know, it's exciting to tune into a game knowing each time it, it's going to really be a, a dogfight. I mean, the numbers don't lie. Players are better. The skill is at an all-time high, and it's exciting basketball. So that's just from the just from the start what I've noticed. And my my other takeaway has been the hiring of Kim Mulkey. You know, it's already paid off for LSU. That was the biggest headline of the offseason was Kim Mulkey leaving Baylor for LSU. And it it was great to see LSU back on national television taking on Iowa State the other day. And the Lady Tigers upsetting number 14. Cyclones to give Mulkey her first upset of a ranked opponent. If you don't get to see LSU play a lot, I would watch solely for a camera shot of Kim Mulkey. She is one of yes. the best. You cannot not root for her. When you're watching her coach her team, just one, the clothes. I mean, the clothes are... <laughs> you got to watch this <laughs> wardrobe matters, but her excitement and her love for the game, to see all the fans back... Um, you know, this is her first year at the helm. Pe- many people wonder what it would be like. And, you know, they already got upset a team. They're back in the top 25. And Kim Mulkey doing what Kim Mulkey does. And um, it- it's good for them. 
how crazy is it seeing her on a different sideline though, not at Baylor? And I think that's the thing that you've got to get used to, or at least I'm like, okay, wait a second. It, it just seems different her on the sideline at LSU. Yeah, the purple blazers and yellow heels take a little bit of adjusting compared to the Baylor green. Um, but her, her fiery demeanor you know, it's really good for our game and especially now putting them on a national stage and getting them back to the top 25. They were such a uh, real powerhouse team, you know, earlier in 2004, 2005, you know, those years when they were going to Final Fours. And so another question that I have in terms of you'd mentioned just the growth of the game. And I'm not sure if you saw the comments from uh, Louisville head coach Jeff Walls, him talking about it's frustrating to him at certain times when they're not allowing women's basketball to have the same type of emotion and fire as the men's and referees are telling some of the women's players, you got to tone it down. You can't be, you know, trash talking like that. Your thoughts on how good that is for the game. Should they allow them to have a little bit more emotion and trash talking. Yes. Hell yeah. I mean, it's just to give you an idea, like the thing that immediately came to my mind is tennis. Why men on the tennis side can just throw their racket, scream, yell, it's no big deal. But if Serena Williams does it, it's in every headline. You know, Jeff Walls makes a great point. I think emotion is necessary. I think it's passion. It's what, as a, someone who covers it on the TV side, we lead with those shots. We want those shots. Yes. And it's yes. good for everyone involved. Now, if someone is a little out of control, yeah, sure, you can tee them up. But I, I agree. I think that it should be allowed. We see it on the men's side, the puffing of the chest. Why, why can't women do that? I'm all for it. I love that shit. That, I loved it. So it's, oh, I think it's necessary. And I think that we should see more of it on the women's side. How much of a trash talker were you? No, I didn't trash talk. I couldn't do that. Come on now. I was a silent assassin. (laughs) I would roll quiet and I'd sneak up behind you, steal a ball. You know, I just had a way of uh, pissing off people guarding me. I don't know why, but it just just (laughs) did. You know, I'll never forget Glory Johnson of Tennessee clotheslined me when I went through the uh, paint. And uh, I don't talk. I don't talk. When I got clotheslined, that was enough for me. But players that had that scrappiness, something, someone that came to mind is Sophie Cunningham on the women's side that will get in your face, just not afraid to back down, you know, like will show their emotions and, you know, maybe it's sneaking a steal here or diving on. It just bothers people because you outwork them and they don't like that. They don't, don't like, like that. that. That's right. <laughs> so the opposing team hated you, but your teammates loved you, except your teammates during practice. They're like, exactly. Steffi, slow down, slow down. Yes. We don't, <laughs> it's just practice, exactly. right? Exactly. <laughs> How did you know? <laughs> I can only imagine. Yes, uh, that I could see that. Now, for me, then on the men's side, I really love the fact that we're seeing more of these like in-season tournaments or holiday tournaments, you know, pre-conference tournaments, whatever you want to call it. Because I don't recall that 15, 20 years ago, we really had this type of in-season tournaments. I mean, you might have some key matchups every once in a while, but for the most part, the traditional side of college basketball was in November and December, you played the non-conference schedule and you played, you know, some of those guarantee games, especially if you're a uh, high uh, major school. But now, I think because of TV and you know everything surrounding, obviously money, it comes back to money at times. But you have all of these key marquee matchups, you know, like the the Hall of Fame tournament that they had, which was probably the most star-studded tournament with Purdue, Tennessee, Villanova, and North Carolina. Those type of tournaments I love seeing. Now, the other one that I really enjoyed that kicked off college basketball on the men's side, that was the Champions Classic. Now, that wasn't a true tournament in terms of brackets, but you had Michigan State versus Kansas. You had Duke versus the Kentucky. Blue Bloods. Blue Bloods, yes, exactly. Yeah. And what a way to kick off college basketball. And that's what I love, that you're in that position to be able to to see those type of games early on in the season and really get you know everybody excited about college basketball because uh, let's face it, 
you and I, we love college basketball, and there's a lot of other hoopers out there that love college basketball. But during November, it's a little bit of tough to pull the eyeballs away from... Yeah. Yes, it's exactly. tough for people to sit back and watch a basketball game. But Rich, of those of the tournaments that you've seen so far, what was the best game uh, that you watched? Oh, you know, I would have to go back to the very first one, and that's the Champions Classic that Kentucky Duke matchup. We finally got to see Paulo Bancaro from Duke, just an unbelievable freshman, and I think he's going to contend with National Player of the oh, Year. Yeah. Uh, there's no doubt about that. And then you got Trevor Keels, another freshman for Duke that really comes and saves the day. And so just the excitement, it's Coach K's last season against John Calipari. I mean, you couldn't script a a better scenario unless you're a Kentucky fan, which they ended up losing, (laughs) right? But I, I just think just all of the excitement and being able to see that type of talent out there. I, I enjoy that uh, significantly. Do you feel there's extra pressure on the players for Duke knowing this is Coach K's last year? 1,000%. Yes, and, I really do. And yet do. here they are? And obviously in college basketball, the, the rankings don't mean as much. It, it's all about you just got to get into the tournament and then it's your seeding. That's what matters. But people are going to be you know striving for a number one position or a top 25 position, but we see it changing all the time. So Duke getting to number one, and then they lose to Ohio State in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. I don't think that really means anything necessarily, but I do feel that because Duke is going to be on this farewell tour for all of the ACC matchups, there is going to be extra pressure uh, because there's going to be so much attention. And you can't tell me, that it's not human nature, that they're going to get tired of, oh, here's another tribute to Coach K and yeah. you know, everybody talking about what a great way could these players send him off with his sixth national championship. You can't tell me it doesn't start adding up because of all of the expectations. Well, there's expectations, but there's also the fact that, yeah, we do want to send Coach K out with another title and you wanting to lift yourself up, your teammates, like you – you all collectively want that just as a baseline for the expectations at Duke, but then the added pressure of, yeah, we really want to do this as a team for our coach. So they, they've looked good. Uh, I love the, the the matchup against the Zags uh, out West. That was a that felt like a national title game. Did it feel like that for you? It definitely did. And some of these matchups in this non-conference portion of the season. It's fantastic when you're able to have those type of teams play and to pull those eyeballs away during, obviously, college football season. You're going to have to have some big-time matchups like this. And it's not only on the men's side. It's also on the women's side as well. When you're seeing you know, South Carolina and Connecticut matchup yeah. or you know, you're seeing you know, NC State and you know, all those teams. I mean, it's, it's what they have to do. Well, that leads me to, you know, True national contenders, Rich. South Carolina, Don Staley, I mean, they look absolutely next level. 9-0 and so far. I know you get, get glimpses of them living in uh, the great state of South Carolina. They've already taken down three top 10 teams this month. Their average margin of victory is over 25 points. You know, they did lose Raven Johnson, uh, a really promising freshman to injury earlier in the year, but they're stacked. I think that this is, this is their year. You know, that UConn-South Carolina game looked and felt like a national championship game. Those two teams are by far the best. To me, one and two. Having said that, defending national champion Stanford and runner-up Arizona, they're in the top ten. I think they're both final four teams are capable. NC State and their grittiness, they're kind of always in the mix. What I believe we have, though, is two premier teams in South Carolina and UConn. And about seven and other seven to nine other teams who can really work themselves into the fold. That means Maryland, Tennessee is they're a very interesting team to watch too. Rich is you know Kelly Harper has her team really rolling right now. They're back in the top ten for the first time in three years. Can they get to a Final Four? Can they get over that hump and get to uh, back to where they want to be? But so far, South Carolina has looked damn good. 
It's incredible. And I still contend that uh, during the pandemic year that Dawn Staley, she probably would have won a national championship that year if they don't cancel the tournament from that perspective. And I think on the, the men's side, it's somewhat of the usual suspects uh, yeah. in all regards. And, you know, I know it's probably the same on the women's side as well. I think there's probably six to eight teams that can truly contend for a national title. You do have to look at UCLA. I mean, the surprise, I think, what they did last year. But when you've got uh, Johnny Juzang and also you're adding in uh, Rutgers transfer, uh, Miles Johnson, a five-star freshman, Peyton Watson. So you've got some elite level talent there uh, for Mick Cronin's team and obviously building off the momentum that they had last year. You can never forget about Gonzaga now. I mean, as much as, you know, the conference that they played. Yes, exactly. Love Timmy. (laughs) Right. And so he would be a player that you would love, right? Oh, (laughs) scrappy. 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 That's right. And he is, you know, he's one of those annoying type of players, but obviously, you know, with with him and then adding Chet Holmgren, uh, who could be a number one overall draft pick as well. Uh, A lot of people are saying that he could be, but I mean, I know his height, his wingspan and all that, but gosh, he is just so skinny. I mean, he yeah. it just looks it like... It looks weird. It looks it weird. It looks weird. Right? Yes, it it's does. It's okay to say it looks weird. He's skinny. It looks weird. It it looks awkward. It It's yeah. like, ah, somebody's going to break him in two any moment now, you know? <laughs> and Yeah, just, well, he took a fall in that Duke game, and I go, oh, man. But he bounced back up. He bounced back up. I think he's got the ability to, you know, put on some pounds. It's just going to be harder for him. He's He's got that ectomorph build, which is, you know, it's tough to put on weight. Now, the... New number one team in college basketball is Purdue, and I think they're probably the most complete balanced team out yeah. there, especially when you can have Travion Williams coming off the bench now, and Zach uh, Eady is starting there at 7-4. I mean, that's a big dude <laughs> at center. And Say then, the least. Yes. And then another guy, Jaden Ivey, who he could play himself into a lottery pick in the NBA as well. And then Michigan – with Hunter Dickinson uh, coming back, uh, and you've got Eli Brooks uh, there in the backcourt. So, you know, they're going to be a formidable opponent as well uh, for Jawan Howard. And then we'd already talked about it, Duke. I mean, just it's his swan song. I mean, how appropriate would that be for Duke to go out and win the national championship? And he's got the talent to do it with Ben Caro, as we'd mentioned, Mark Williams. I mean, I think he's playing really well right now. I think somewhat of a surprise for a lot of people. And then just also don't forget about Kansas though. Bill Self somehow doing it. He doing it. He keep <laughs> yes, he keeps himself in the mix. He's got four starters coming back. Plus you add Arizona State transfer Remy Martin. Kansas is still one of those teams that can definitely contend for a national title. Yeah. Kansas reminds me a lot of Maryland um, on the women's side. Brenda Freeze always has her team like top ten every year, always reloads always in the hunt for a final four, just gets it done, you know, but I, I, do you think that outside of Duke in the ACC, there's a, there's another team that could get to the final four or is it Duke out of the ACC? That's it. Yeah. I think it's Duke because Tony Bennett's team at Virginia is so down. They just don't have the talent that they normally have had. And now the team that always surprises me is Florida state with Leonard Hamilton, but I just don't see them being as that elite type of team that can get to the final four. I, I just don't see it this year. I, I think it's Duke or nobody else. And I think that with Hubert Davis, he's really not utilizing the two post players that we've typically seen from Carolina, and especially with Roy Williams. And so I think you're going to see a drop off in terms of what their signature was, and that's offensive rebounding. And they're just not going to have the same type of domination that they have had in the past because they don't play the two post players typically at the same time anymore under Hubert Davis. So I think it's Duke coming out of the ACC. It has to be. You think it's Duke? Yes. What about, uh, I'm going to quiz you one last time, Um, out of the SEC, we kind of touched on UCLA, Pac-12, Kansas, the SEC, you know, Alabama, Nate Oates with the upset of the Zags. Who's your favorite out of the SEC? I would have to say it's Alabama and Nate Oates. I think what they were able to do to Gonzaga just showed that they can be a dark horse, and I think they will win the SEC. Uh, Should we cue the sirens? 
Yes, I think we probably should. Yes. Okay, we'll cue those. <laughs> Mark it down. Record it. Right? Oh, we are recording. Wait a second. <laughs> we are. But yes, I, I think it's. I think it's going to be Alabama. Uh, I think they're going to surprise a, a lot of people. And obviously, they made their name just recently by beating Gonzaga. At least I should say they got everybody's attention. All right, Steffi. So now we also have to talk some of our headlines that we've seen. And speaking of the SEC and a place what are you that do you're going to do to me. Yes, the place that you're very familiar with, your Florida Gators, and what in the world happened with Mike White's team losing to Texas Southern. Texas Southern was a 23-and-a-half-point underdog. They were coming in winless, and now they're 1-7. and seven. How did that happen? Florida has been frustra- so frustrating over the last, you know, three or four years with the up-and-down nature of their season. So have a nice win. They beat Florida State. So we're trending upwards, and then you take a loss like this. And, you know, Mike White, I know he wanted to get back to really uh, bogging down on defense and getting down and and eliminating easy points and all that. And losses like this just make you scratch your head at, you know, what's what's going on and is this the best we can do? But lots of upsets so far. So, Rich, the biggest headline on the women's side was superstar Paige Beckers, a.k.a. Paige Buckets, going down Sunday versus Notre Dame. Now, it was a non-contact injury. Uh, She was carried off the court, but breaking news uh, just told everybody that she will be out six to eight weeks with a fractured tibial plateau, which is a break of the larger lower leg bone below the knee that breaks into the knee joint itself. If anyone didn't know what that was, that was a quick Google search. Uh, Fractured knee, essentially, so... Gino Arema was pressed as to why she was even in the game um, at that point. They had a pretty sizable lead against Notre Dame, and he said, uh, I don't have an answer why she was in the game, but I don't like my team without her on the court. <laughs> so uh, you can always count on a good soundbite from Gino. Yes. So today's news, obviously disappointing, uh, but I remain optimistic. The estimated recovery timeline would put Becker's return um, in mid to late January, ahead of UConn's rematch with number one South Carolina. So if you're not familiar with Paige Buckets, uh, she's the face of women's college basketball. She just signed a huge endorsement deal with Gatorade, making her the first college athlete to do such a thing after adding uh, Beckers to the, their roster. Gatorade also has you know Zion Williamson, La- Lionel Messi, and the GOAT, Serena Williams. So we wish her a smooth recovery um, as she looks forward to getting back on the court. And how does that affect Connecticut's chance now? Well, it's a huge loss. I mean, she does it all for UConn. I mean, she was averaging over 20. She drops dimes. I mean, she's, like Gino said, he doesn't like his team without her on the court. And her best friend, AZ Fudge, she's she's out with an injury. So UConn's got a lot of injuries right now, uh, which really paves the way for South Carolina to break away uh, and, and really command that number one position as they've had so far. Uh, but I give it time. Players can heal up. No one's out completely for the season. So we'll see what they're made of without them. And I think that might help them down the road. Now, on the men's side, we also had mentioned that Purdue is now the new number one team in the country. And this is the first time that Purdue has been ranked number one in their history. They've been in the top 25 poll 379 weeks since the poll started in 1950, but this is the first time they've ever been number one. They have held the number two position, but that was back in 1988. So congratulations to Matt Painter and the Purdue Boilermakers. And again, that's a team that definitely has a shot to to win the national title. A team that's not going to win a national title, I can tell you, Steffi, that's Maryland and Mark Turgeon has decided to resign after 10 seasons in College Park. He had a 226 116 record, five NCAA tournament appearances, and one Sweet 16. And now Danny Manning will take over as interim head coach. Uh, So obviously, that's a big name there. But I think it was one of those situations for Maryland's men's basketball team. They're just in that gray area and just didn't have the success that they're accustomed to. All right, Steffi, this is one of the fun segments that we're going to have each episode, and we're calling it the Automatic for the week. And so this is our opportunity to give our insight in terms of what we are identifying that is going to happen. This is our automatic. So I'm going to kick things off. So my automatic for the week revolves around 
being ranked number one. In men's college basketball, we've already seen some different number ones from Gonzaga to Duke, now to Purdue. My automatic for the week is that Purdue will stay the number one team until the month of January. And that's when you might see them lose when they travel to Michigan. So my automatic, Matt Painter, you're going to stay number one until the month of January. Mm, book it. Uh, my automatic of the week is the 2021 Jimmy V Classic, which is such an amazing event that has helped raise over $134 million for the V Foundation. It takes place this week and it will feature four great games overall on the men's side. You've got Tennessee taking on Texas Tech, Syracuse going toe-to-toe with Villanova, and on the women's side, in-state rivalry of Kentucky at Louisville, and the one everyone is going to be watching is Maryland at South Carolina. There will be madness, and I believe there will be at least two upsets at the Jimmy V, so be sure to tune into it, and that's my automatic of the week. There you go. You've heard it. Those are our automatics, and this has been the first episode of Automatic, the college basketball podcast. Steffi, this was fun. We got to do this again, right? I think we will. Yes, I think so. (laughs) And that is it for our first episode of Automatic, and we can't thank you enough for listening to this inaugural episode. And now make sure you follow the podcast on Apple Podcasts and any other podcasting platforms, as we'll release a new episode each Wednesday And we appreciate you letting us know your thoughts about the podcast by providing any ratings and reviews as well. That's it for us. And this is Automatic.